Sermons from Broome Anglican Church in the Diocese of North West Australia. Anyone remember January? No, that was too long ago. Uh, I watched a bit of TV in January and almost every time I saw an ad, the theme was New Year, New You. Mostly ads for gym memberships and diet programs. Anybody else seen that kind of thing around? And maybe New Year, New You is an idea that gets you motivated. Or maybe it isn't. Especially if you've had a few years of making New Year's resolutions only to give up on them by February. But where our resolutions fail, God delivers. God creates a truly new you. If you have turned to Jesus, as Peter says here in verse 23, you have been born again. You are the new you right now. And that's not just a passive thing. It's not just something that happens to us. We need to cooperate. We need to participate. Like Peter says in verse 13, we need to prepare our minds for action. What kind of action? Well, there's a lot going on in this passage, but at its core are four very important actions to cooperate with God's work of creating the new you. I'm going to call the first action forward-looking. This is about what Peter says in verse 13. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's he talking about? He's talking about the return of Jesus. It reminds me of an old summary of the Christian message. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Some of you have heard that before. That's our message. Christ has died. And like Peter says in verses 18 and 19, he died to ransom us. He died to pay a price. The price that was needed to set us free from sin. So Christ has died and Christ is risen. Like Peter says in verse 21, God raised him from the dead and gave him glory. We are not calling people to follow a historical figure, but to follow a living Lord. And third, Christ will come again. We are waiting for the day when Jesus appears in glory for everyone to see. That will be a wonderful day for people who love him. That will be a terrible day for people who don't. Now when it comes to the return of Jesus, Christians can fall into two errors. One is to get into the speculation game. Trying to work out exactly when Jesus will return based on Bible mathematics or what's in the news. Jesus couldn't have been clearer about this. He said, 
concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. So when Jesus returns, he doesn't want to find us trying to do the math. He wants to find us serving him. The other error, probably more common with us, is just not really thinking about Jesus' return. Like if I asked you, do you believe Jesus is going to return? You might say yes, but it's just not something you really think about all that much. But Peter says, set your hope fully on Jesus' return. Don't just have it as a line in your creed. Make it something you think about every day. Make it the reason you get up in the morning. Make Jesus' return the thing that helps you keep going each day. Notice Peter talks about the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He wants us to think about how good it's going to be when Jesus appears. All our struggles over. All our wounds healed. All our longings fulfilled. We need to keep thinking about that because the new you is not an easy life. God calls us to do hard things. We'll be talking about some of those things this morning. But one thing that's going to help us keep going and keep doing those hard things is remembering that whatever this life costs us is nothing compared to what God has in store for us. But how exactly do we set our hope fully on this grace? Well, the things Peter says in verses 2 and 3 about pure spiritual milk, that's going to have something to do with it, and we'll get to that soon. But for now, I think one very practical way is to pray the Lord's Prayer each day. I don't just mean running through it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Tick the box. But praying the Lord's Prayer steadily and seriously. Because in that prayer we pray, your kingdom come. In other words, come Lord Jesus. Bring on that day. Praying something like that will help you set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us when Jesus returns. So the first action for the new year is forward looking. The second one is holy living. Please look at verse 15. But as he who called you, that's God, is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Honestly, how do you feel about the idea of being holy? It seems to me that a lot of Christians see holiness as advanced Christianity. Like it's a way of life for people who are better Christians than you. I think Christians have always been tempted to feel that way because the Bible makes a point of busting that myth. In Hebrews chapter 12 it says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 
That makes it super clear that there aren't two levels of Christianity, holy and non-holy, saints and non-saints. No. Either you are a saint or you are someone who won't get into God's kingdom. Now, lest we be discouraged, we don't get into God's kingdom by being holy enough. It's not about becoming a good enough person before you die, 51% or whatever is the passing grade. We can't pay our way into God's kingdom that way. The only thing that pays our way into God's kingdom, the only currency, is here in verse 19. The precious blood of Christ. We don't get into God's kingdom by being holy enough, but by putting our trust in Him. But having put our trust in Him, and knowing that He paid such a high price for us, what will we do now? There's only one thing to do. God calls us not to just try and stay out of trouble. Not just to try and do right by others. God calls us to be holy. My favourite conversion story is that of my own grandfather, Charles. He died before I was born, so I'm still looking forward to meeting him. But often conversion stories are about how bad a person was before they became a Christian. That's not my grandfather's story. Everyone who knew him as a non-Christian thought that he was a good person. And yet my mum tells me that when he became a Christian, she saw him change. Even though everyone thought he was a good person, she saw him change. Because holiness isn't just about being good. It's about being godly. It's about seeking to please God in every area of our lives. Like Peter says in verse 15, be holy in all your conduct. And one thing that means is saying no to things. Like Peter says in verse 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, don't do the things that the old you wants to do. Sometimes Christian people can get relaxed about some sins in our lives. It's not that big a deal. I've been doing it for ages. It's just the way I am. I just need this, or even I deserve this. But that kind of thinking is to underestimate the power of sin. Just think about that word, conformed. That word tells us what sin always does. Sin always tries to conform us. Sin always tries to shape us into a person other than the person God wants us to be. But being holy doesn't just mean saying no to things. Some people think that's all there is to it. But no, that's just the start. 
That's just clearing the ground for the real business of holiness, which is our hearts being united with God's heart. J.C. Ryle was an English bishop who died in 1900. You should read anything of his you can get your hands on, including his book Holiness, where he says this. Holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God, as we find his mind described in Scripture. It is the habit of agreeing in God's judgment, hating what he hates, loving what he loves, and measuring everything in this world by the standard of his word. He or she who most entirely agrees with God, that is the most holy man or woman. Holiness is about agreeing with God, not just in our opinions, but in the way we live our life. And this is also connected to spiritual milk, which we'll get to shortly. But first, please notice a verse that's easy to skip past, verse 17. And if you call on him as a father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, we can sometimes slip into thinking about God like he is the CEO of a really big company who's got way too many employees to notice us as individuals, unless maybe we do something really bad. But this verse is telling us it is not like that at all. God has full and absolute knowledge of every one of his employees. God doesn't just care about our holiness as a group. God cares about your personal holiness as much as he would if you were the only Christian in the world. So the actions of the new you so far. Forward looking, holy living and now earnest loving. We're looking here especially at verse 22. I'll just reread it. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 1 Peter is a little bit dense, isn't it? It's a little bit like drinking from a fire hose, but the idea in this verse is pretty clear, love. And we all know that's kind of a big deal in Christianity. Everyone knows, Christians and non-Christians know, that God wants us to love each other. But in this verse, I'm especially interested in some of the words around love, like the word sincere, or the word earnestly. When I see words like that, I'm asking myself, why do they need to be said? They need to be said because there is such a thing as insincere love. There is such a thing as non-earnest love. There is such a thing as imitation love, which looks like the real thing, but is in fact not the real thing. Have you ever visited a church where people smiled at you, but it was also clear they didn't want to talk to you? Like their smile said, welcome to church, but their eyes screamed, get away from me. Some of you have had that experience. 
Some of you visit more churches and you'll have it. Hope it hasn't happened to you here. But we must never settle for the insincere love, the non-earnest love of mere friendliness or politeness. I remember someone saying to me, people who come to church don't need friendliness, they need friends. I know it can be hard where we live. People always coming and going. People from many different backgrounds. But God doesn't say, love one another earnestly, unless of course you live in Rome. And God helps us here by lifting our eyes to an eternal perspective. Verse 23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. The new you is everlasting. The new you is going to enjoy God forever. And one thing that does is set us free to invest in relationships that might cost us more than they benefit us here and now. To invest in relationships of earnest love for God's people, especially in our church family. Eternal perspective also helps us choose what matters. Are we going to spend our short life the way most Australians do, trying to build our best version of heaven on earth? Or are we going to spend it trying to help people get into actual heaven? If we're going to do the second one, a big part of that will be earnest love inside the church that overflows to people outside. And I thank God that I see a lot of love like that here in this place. But I guess what I'm saying today is let's keep our foot on the pedal. Let's keep leaning into our relationships with one another instead of leaning out of them. Let's maintain a close orbit with our church family instead of a wide orbit. In some ways this passage is a meditation on the two great commandments, love God and love neighbour. And in our church God gives us a whole bunch of neighbours who are like us and who are different from us that we are to love. So that's forward looking Holy living, earnest loving. The last action is milk drinking. Chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. As I've been talking this morning, in one sense, I've been hoping that you feel overwhelmed. I've been hoping that you feel afraid that this radical way of life that Peter calls us to live is just too much for you, too hard for you. I'm hoping you feel that way because we are not supposed to do it in our own strength. We are supposed to do this like newborn babies, constantly and hungrily Seeking the nourishment they need. As an aside, at this point, some of you might be thinking about Hebrews chapter 5, which puts milk up against solid food, but that's making a different point. 
Hebrews chapter 5 is challenging Christians who are spinning the wheels, who are staying still, who are not growing from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity the way we all should. But here Peter is talking about something we never grow out of. He's talking about something the new you always needs. He's talking about our desperate daily dependence on God's word. Thank you for bringing a newborn baby, well not quite newborn, thank you for bringing a baby here as a prop this morning to help us out. Don't worry, I'm not going to call you out the front or anything. I think there's another one back there somewhere, back in the infant's room. Two, two, two more about to be born any day. They're just babies all over the place now, thank God. Isn't it wonderful? And this is one way to build our numbers. Um, but just think about those babies. Think about their way to, they're going to grow. Think about their full-time occupation for the next 12 plus months. Every day, suckle, suckle, suckle. And God says to us, you do that too. Keep suckling the milk. Keep drinking in his word. That's the only thing that will keep us forward-looking. That is the rocket fuel for holy living and earnest loving. Trying to live the Christian life without constantly taking God's word is like trying to drive a car around that doesn't have any fuel in it. You being at church, brilliant. You being in a life group, excellent. You having a prayer and Bible habit, fantastic. I've been excited to hear about some of you starting or restarting a personal devotional habit in 2024. And if you're not one of those people, it's not too late for you to start. You know, Peter wrote this at a time the book hadn't been invented yet. When I say book, I mean spine, cover, pages. People wouldn't get those for another few hundred years. So they had to work harder than us to get pure spiritual milk. They met together like we do, but they had to listen to each other read Old Testament scrolls or New Testament letters. We've got it all in our hand. We've got it all on our phone. I do recommend paper Bible over phone Bible because a paper Bible won't interrupt you with a scam message about how your parcel hasn't arrived. <laughs> Just give us all your details and we'll fix it for you. But my point is, we have absolutely no excuse to not be milk drinking. And we really need to do that. Because the way Peter's calling us to live is too hard for us in our own strength. You will need a steady stream of pure spiritual milk to keep on being the new you. Time to finish. A phrase that's pretty well known, um, not just among Christians, but more widely, is the phrase, born again Christian. We sometimes hear people say that in a negative way, as in, don't tell me you're one of those born-again Christians. And that's a sad thing because being born again is wonderful beyond words. There is nothing at all better that can happen to you. There is nothing better than being born again. The moment we turn to Jesus, God not only forgives us, he not only accepts us, but he also transforms us into people who want to live his way. 
But as I've been saying this morning, we have to cooperate with that. We have to participate in that. We have to prepare our minds for action. What's your response to that? Is your response the classic Australian one, yeah, no? Or is it, yes, let's go? If you say, yes, let's go, if you want to be a truly new you, then Peter gives you four concrete things to be getting on with. Forward-looking, holy living, earnest loving, and milk drinking. Just as babies are born to grow up, Christians are born again to grow up. As Peter says in chapter 2, verse 2, grow up into salvation. You are the new you right now. But that is just the beginning. We hope that sermon helped you. To connect with us, visit our website, broomanglican.church.com.